This holiday season, AT&T is giving away $25,000 just for telling them what great LG products you want this year. Stop by a participating AT&T store and snap a selfie holding up the LG products you want to get, like the LG V20 with 5.7-inch HD display and direct TV app to watch live TV. Then share your selfie on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag Here's What I Want Sweeps or upload it to Here's What I Want Sweeps.com for a chance to win $25,000. No purchase necessary. Click the banner for rules and a list of participants stores. Did FBI Director Comey ruin the election? Is Hillary as crooked as some people think? Are there sinister secrets about Trump's connections waiting to be exposed? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Uh, I am, hopefully, uh, people are tuned into what's going on with the election, and I know we've already had Jared Yates Sexton on before, so you guys should be familiar with him, and if not, he is an assistant professor at Georgia Southern University. He writes articles in the Atticus Review, New Republic, and the New York Times, and uh, we wanted to get in there before the election to talk a little bit more about what's been happening, what Jared's been seeing on the ground, and what he's been writing about, and all things in general with uh, Trump versus Clinton. So, Jared, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, as always, a pleasure. Um, and, uh, you know, we did have a great conversation about the Pacers. So, you never know. We might be able to drift into some other kind of basketball while we do this. But I think we got some things to talk about since last we spoke. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, this thing's not showing any signs of slowing down for sure. You know, at one point in our first one, I think we were both a little bit scared We had by the end. It felt like we would have to leave the country. And then it felt better for a while. Um, it is now tightening. And, you know, what are your thoughts on what has happened with, uh, with the FBI director Comey and his letter that he sent on Friday? This thing is probably the biggest mess I've seen a week out from an election. I mean, you know, and this is... This is like one of the most nonsensical situations that you can imagine. I mean, for anybody who's not familiar with this, uh, James Comey, the director of the FBI, sent a letter to Republicans in Congress that basically said, we have found new emails. We have no idea what these emails are. We, matter of fact, we later find out that he doesn't even have a warrant to look at the emails. He has no understanding if they're emails they've seen before. They have no, and by the way, leaks have said that they're not from Hillary Clinton. They're not who to Hillary Clinton. They're probably not even about Hillary Clinton. And this whole thing, obviously has been a, uh, a side thing that's come from Anthony Weiner's investigation about his possibly sending explicit images to a 15-year-old girl. And he's a total creep, just an absolute creep to no end. Um, and what happened was Comey's letter to these Republicans was an amazing moment that they used to spin this into a much bigger scandal than it was. Basically, they released it to the press saying that the investigation was being reopened, even though the investigation has never technically been closed, right? This is what, what I have called a, um, a janitorial update, right? Basically, he's required to keep Congress apprised of these types of investigations, so he sends it at a time that it's not a good time for the election. The Republicans spun it and the media swallowed it whole. And you know as well as I do, there's there's like an election fatigue 
that set in, right? And this all happened after the Access Hollywood. I can't believe I'm saying these words, by the way. This is the greatest <laughs> election there's ever been. So after the Access Hollywood tapes were released and Trump was revealed to say all these awful things, and there's been one woman after another who's accused him of being a sexual predator, the race was over. And the media didn't really have a story anymore. There really wasn't a story of a horse race anymore because obviously Clinton was starting to run away with this thing. And in fact, I don't know if you saw it or not, but they started telling the story about um, the, the difficulties Clinton would have once she was elected. That became the narrative for like three days. And then all of a sudden they had this thing fall in their lap and they were more than happy and willing to start telling a story that had nothing to do with reality and it had nothing to do with the letter that Comey sent, which by the way, it seems like was Comey's intent and also the Republicans' intent, and the media swallowed it whole. Well, just to be exactly accurate, he did send the letter to both Republicans and Democrats, but of course the Republicans are the ones who are going to leak it or whatever. But, um, you know, I kind of get into the... the, the um, the what is the motive behind all this? Like, what is the conspiracy here? Because it is interesting if he, you know, he, he, I don't want to take it necessarily at face value that he just sort of felt like he needed to be uh, an upstanding person in this because clearly what you had said was, you know, he didn't have any information. This was so premature to have sent a letter like this, especially so uh, close to the uh, election. So, so my take, I, I started, my wheel started to spin. I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. And I started to imagine that, like, you know, based on the way he characterized the investigation in the summer, uh, it was pretty negative, even though he exonerated Hillary Clinton to, to, to the most, most degree. But it, probably she gets rid of him, right? The president is allowed to fire the head of the FBI, even though he's got a 10-year term. So in his way, is this a way where he can somehow keep his job because he can affect the down-ballot races, knowing that it probably won't affect the presidential election. And then that means that the Senate, who has to confirm a new FBI director, would mm -hmm. still be a Republican. And in some respects, that might be the, the pressure he could have on her to not let him go. But I don't know. That, it kind of feels like, did you ever see the game with uh, Michael Douglas? Oh, for sure. Well, you know, it's predicated on the fact that he jumps off of a building and lands in this big thing that catches him. Well, what if he jumped off the other side of the building? <laughs> you know, like that, like that could, like they just happen to guess, you know. So this is one of those things where it's like, you know, there's a lot of things that have to go right for that to happen. But I don't know. Does that make any sense to you? Well, I'll tell you this. I'm of a, of a few different minds of this thing. And, and quite frankly, it's so bewildering. That, that's the craziest thing here, right? Because there's so many moving pieces that you have to try and put together. Okay, so here are the different minds I love. Number one, that Comey is a partisan who wanted to affect the election, right? Mm -hmm. That he wanted to put something out there to disrupt the election. Two is that because of the pressure that Trump put on him, and, and you know, as a coach, you can understand this, it's where you're, you're jockeying with a referee about a call, and even though you're a little abusive and a little gruff, later on that makes the call up, right? Because the referee like automatically hears that. So we have Comey who has been pressured by Republicans, particularly Trump, who talks about investigations into Comey. This could be a moment where the ref's trying to make up a call earlier, right, to another side. This also could be a situation where Comey saw the possibility that if he didn't leak this, that later on it would be seen as a partisan move. But the other problem that's at the heart of this that makes this whole thing that much more like crazy is that the FBI in the past two to three days, particularly the last two days with a lot of stories about Trump and Russia, which I'm sure we'll probably talk about, um, 
Over the last three days, the FBI has been more porous than a coriander. I mean, it has just, it's been one leak after another, and they've been battling each other. Part of the FBI didn't want this letter released. The other side is obviously against Clinton. And I mean, it's this jockeying of, a, of an apolitical organization that is obviously a political organization at this point. Mm -hmm. And there's really making no heads or tails because there's obviously a power struggle going on within the, uh, uh, the bureau, and nobody can really figure out exactly what's going on. Uh, yeah, that, that has also been really just amazing to me that all these leaks are coming out with the FBI. It's like this you used to think when we were growing up that that just didn't happen. And these were buttoned up things like, you know, we don't know who killed JFK because the FBI doesn't leak anything ever. So um, the other thing that's, you know, there's just so many things, so many layers, because one of the reasons why we're in this predicament, I think why Comey feels like he's in a predicament at all, was because of what happened over the summer when Clinton and Loretta Lynch, the attorney general, had this off-the-books meeting on a tarmac where everybody saw them, you know, get together on this plane. And I feel like, you know, it's almost like Hillary can't win. And it's all because of men. My, like, my wife hates men right now. She really, literally does because she's, you know, she's gone to Nevada to, to register uh, people to vote. I mean, she's, a, you know, call making for Hillary. But it's like, look at what happened. Like, Bill has just been a, an albatross around her neck since even in 2008. And now with that meeting. And then, you know, this guy, Anthony Weiner, somebody who's not even, like, really connected to her, is going to end up dragging her down and it's nothing that she's ever done. She's not a sex fiend texting people. She's not, you know, cheating on Bill, or at least we don't think, we don't know anything like that. You know, she's an upstanding citizen. And yet here she is being weighed down by all these stupid things that she had no control over anyway. And I would say this, I, I, and, and again, I've been, uh, I've been critical of, of Clinton and how she has handled the email scandal. I think a large part of what we're looking at now has to do with um, her first instinct is always to protect, right? It's always to shield off and protect. And I think that she saw when she was going against Bernie Sanders in the primaries, I think that she saw a weakness in that and as a result wanted to shield it off as opposed to dealing with it head on. And I think that's one of the reasons why it even persists now. But that being said, it is grossly appropriate that the first female president is – fighting this battle right now that has everything to do with misogyny and the failings of men. I mean, it, it couldn't make for a more metaphorically appropriate story, right? I mean, the, and, and this whole Anthony Weiner thing, it's like this guy who's just like unchecked id, you know, who could very well lead to the last, you know, speed bump before she's elected president. I mean, it doesn't get more metaphorically appropriate, even though it's grotesque. I mean, it's just yeah. the most disgusting thing left and right. And then on top of that, you have her take, taking on, like, again, the, the manifestation of America's id, like this lying, bumbling fool, right, who's sex crazy, he's a predator, and he's a liar, and he has his own reality that he creates. I mean, metaphorically, I mean, it, it doesn't get better than that. Like, that's coming from a fiction writer. You can't, you can't do that. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. It's Shakespearean uh, to the nth degree. And so the, the, uh, the bigger thing that I also have trouble with now is that – it has allowed the vagueness of what Comey has reported has allowed Trump to lie through his teeth. I mean, he's, he's lied and had trouble with the truth anyway for the whole campaign. But when you hear him talking about what this means and what the emails are, 
and there's and there's nothing you can do about it, right? You simply have to allow him. He gets to say whatever he want wants, and I suppose, and this is where you, your expertise comes in about interacting with Trump supporters, is that I don't think it even matters, right? If they don't, they choose to believe that you know all the, the every email in there is a classified email that is you know, has been leaked to Russia ten times over. I mean, that's sort of what they choose to believe anyway. And yet, so there's just no sense of checks or balances or any sort of decorum about like what you're supposed to be able to say in front of a large group of people when you have influence. Well, and I mean, this thing does nothing but confirm previously thought expectations from people. You know, I mean, with with liberals, you hear this and you're like, oh, my God, like this is this is like a framing. It's like a, a misrepresentation of facts, which in all in all truth. It is a misrepresentation of facts. I mean, I don't know if you were online when this thing broke, but the the debate about reality that occurred in terms of like how this thing got presented was amazing. I mean, it was like the media was just like, oh, we have a story. Let's go to it. Obviously, this is what it means before anybody had even read you know, the actual letter or the, the reports from it. And the Republicans played that like a perfect instrument. I mean, it was, it was really, really upsetting. But it doesn't matter what actually is at the heart of this thing. Trump's going around saying, oh, maybe the 33,000 emails she deleted are on that computer. They're not. Like, leaks have said that there are three emails that aren't from her, that aren't by her, that aren't to her. There are probably three emails on that laptop. And by the way, they haven't read them. They don't know anything about them except for that they're probably not even having to do with Clinton. They've said that that's what it is. Trump is going out in front of people and saying this is worse than Watergate. I mean, oh, like, I which is insane. <laughs> it brought down a president. It was about the corruption of the government from the inside out, like a tooth rotting to its core. And, and he's out there saying it's worse than that. He has no clue. And it doesn't matter because all it does is further the narrative, which is what these people need in the face of cognitive dissonance. They need to have this story. The, mo the most amazing thing I thought about the Republican Party, and if I were part of that, I would be proud of it, would be how they've been able to minimize Nixon's impact on, in, a, in a negative way. He, he became an applause line in 2004 when Arnold Schwarzenegger was at the Republican convention. And I looked at that saying, uh, you know, at the very least, you would have imagined Republicans would have been low key about, OK, we know, you know, we liked what we did, but we know it was wrong. I mean, and if you go deeper into that, which I have, <laughs> you realize how horrible he was and how scary he was, which is, like, you know, we talked about this before. It's a direct uh, connection to like what Trump could be with his finger on the button. Um, it, it is really crazy. Now, the other question I was wondering is, is that he had tweeted about this like in August he had said that the connection between Wiener and Huma would be a problematic thing for Hillary or whatever, like security, which seems so off the wall and random, right? But it wasn't. And that leads me to believe that maybe he did, like, I don't even know if it's possible because he probably didn't know there was another laptop somewhere out there. But what does that mean? How did he get right? Is he just throwing so much at the wall and then eventually something sticks? Well, so here, uh, the, the, the logical part of my brain wants to say that it's just Trump's large net that he casts, right? And he's going to catch something, and occasionally things are going to be right. But I'll tell you something, and, and you know, if we want to go on a deep dive on this, uh, there is a very real possibility that Donald Trump has been in communications with a group of people who have hacked United States government computers, Right. And so, I mean, if he if he knows more about this stuff than he's let on, I would not be shocked. And I, I think at this point, if you were to tell me if you were to, like, tell me that, 
a month from now, two months from now, three months from now, we are going to find some really disturbing stuff about what the Trump campaign has been up to. And I've been told by people who are familiar with it and who are intimate with it that they are. If you were to lay out any number of things, I wouldn't be shocked. I, I, I would be right there with you. I, and I, that's a really frightening possibility, but it's there. Wow. Okay. Because, I mean, that brings us to another thing I was reading yesterday about, um, about Trump's uh, servers uh, privately connecting with a leading bank in Russia, uh, the implications, and there's also the timing of it. They, can't, they don't see what the messages are, but it looks like email, and it, they ramp up before the, the convention, they ramp up before the debate, so there seems to be some chatter going on. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, there's something off, especially because Trump continues to defend Putin and criticize her for criticizing him, Putin. And um, again, yeah, that, that's another interesting question. I mean, are we even – the polls have slowly kind of trickled in since Friday even. We're seeing some tightening. But we, we already saw tightening before that, right? We, this was never going to be a 10-point blowout for her, I guess, anyway. So – what, what do you feel about that now? Have you been studying these polls and what it looks like? Well, I think the polls were always going to end up being the exact same thing. I mean, quite frankly, um, there's nobody on either side who's going to move. There just isn't. You know, in, in this whole thing, I think it's probably, I would say it's probably five or six points. I'd say that's where this thing is going to end up. And on Election Day, I think it's where we're going to end up. And I think she's going to win easily. The only, the only state that's really been in question for me primarily has been North Carolina. I really want to see what happens in North Carolina next Tuesday. That being said, um, I, I don't think that there's anything that could affect these people. I think there are Trump supporters that if more evidence came out, and my God, the evidence is there, that there is a connection between Trump and Russia. I think even if it came out, there are those people who are like, well, Putin's a strong person. Why wouldn't he be friends with them? You know, mm -hmm. like we're talking about like major un-American activities. There are these people who have claimed to be patriots for like decades now who would be totally fine with stuff that runs counter to the Constitution and basically amounts to being a traitor. And and I think a lot of these people can move their sort of like um, they can they can wrap their head around it using mental gymnastics and get there somehow. And it, it's it's mind blowing. Well, doesn't it feel like a lot of them sort of say, oh, he's just kidding. He's just joking around like a lot of the inflammatory things he said about nuclear weapons and all sorts of stuff like that, which frightened me to no end as someone who's you know expecting their public figures to have more uh, restraint. But so it has to be that to them, there's like, oh, he's just a, he's just kidding around. He, we, we would feel com like that. Obviously, they feel comfortable with him being in charge of the nuclear arsenal. Right. Like that, that sort of them just sort of just figuring out that he's probably a lot more um, rational than he appears on stage. Is that what they're thinking? I don't think they are. I no. really don't think that. I don't. I don't think that they think that. I don't think that they Trump. I think they take Trump at face value. I think that they believe that he is capable of anything, and they're fine with it. I, I don't know if you ran across some of these people, but I have a lot of experience both in family and my culture and where I'm from. Um, around about 2001 to 2003, from September 11th to the run-up to the Iraq War, I was very familiar with a lot of people in my family and outside who were saying some of the most grotesque, un-American things imaginable, right? And hiding behind the idea of patriotism, of anger towards September 11th. I mean, we're talking about people who wanted to nuke the Middle East. We're talking about people who wanted to wipe out every Muslim on the face of the earth. And we're, you know, this is Wait, awesome. this happened in my family as well. And I'm, talking, I'm in California. And I'm telling you, this is the mood of a lot of different people. If Trump were to say tomorrow, like, I'm willing to nuke, you know, uh, Iran off the map, 
that's not going to cause a lot of movement in his ranks. Like, I don't think that these people are concerned about him being more cautious than he lets on. I think these people like that. I think these people are in favor of more like reptilian brain politics. They're, they're interested in the culture of fear and anger. And they've been looking for someone to bring that about. And I don't think they think he's calmer. I think that they believe him and they take him at face value for the most part. Wow. I mean, okay, that that is. Uh, I, I guess I, I wanted to believe something positive about this, but uh, you know, I was listening to. Um, yeah, by the way, could you give us even? You know, you, you alluded a little bit to some stuff that maybe you've been hearing. Can you give us even a little nugget of something? You know, about what you're talking about as far as Trump and what they might find out weeks from now and all that stuff. Okay, well, again, this is one of those things I have to be really careful about because, number one, I have to protect sources. And number two, um, he really likes to sue people. (laughs) Listen, you know, I was just asking, you don't need to do anything you don't want to. So um, I can tell you that around the time um, that the original WikiLeaks came out, the hacking of the DNC, Right. And we started finding out all this stuff about the Clinton campaign versus the Sanders campaign. I was contacted by a few people who are familiar with the Trump campaign who said, you need to check out Trump, Paul Manafort, who is his campaign chair, and their ties to Ukraine and Russian friendly aristocrats. Um, I started looking into it, but of course I'm, I'm an independent journalist. I'm not able to like go to the Ukraine and sift through documents. Um, But I started looking into this, and this is something that really got underreported with Paul Manafort, who has like incredible ties to the Ukraine. I mean, he was paid $12 million by a Russian-friendly Ukrainian group in cash, right, under the table, totally illegally, in order to push Kremlin interest in the Ukraine. This guy shows up. He's automatically put at the top of Trump's campaign. And almost immediately before these hacks happen – you see the Republican National Committee um, lessen their their language against the Ukraine and against Russia. And all of a sudden you start seeing Trump. And like you said, he's up there like talking about Putin. He's talking about how great Putin is, how friendly he is with Putin, all these things. You see a major foreign policy shift right before those documents are released. I got told that there is a clear line from that weakening of language and the strengthening of support from Donald Trump to Paul Manafort, and then eventually to the hacking and the continued hacking, not to mention. It's my understanding that there are a lot of business interests that need to be pushed forward and that there's a lot of investigating that needs to be done of Donald Donald Trump's trip to Russia for the Miss Universe pageant. And that there are a lot of, um, I'll just say skullduggery, that really, really is at the heart of this thing. And it, it feels like if more if if Manafort wouldn't have been gotten rid of and the media would have went more full bore into that, because, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it every week. There's something new. There's like a new nugget that comes out and it becomes more and more clear. The server, all this stuff. There's a clear line from A to B. And it's all going to be there and it's all going to be exposed at some point. Right. Which is even more crazy because let's just pretend that Trump does get elected president. And then a month into his into his term, like they find out that he was, you know, treasonous. Uh, that that would be another huge problem as well. I don't even know where to begin. I don't even want to go there, I suppose. Um, you know, the other thing that's interesting about the, the hack stuff is like, and I call this two weeks ago when Donna Brazil first found, when we first found out about her, uh, chairman of the Democratic National Convention or Committee, uh, you know, she sent an email to Hillary saying, from time to time, I get questions to the whatever for these town hall, whatever from CNN. 
And, you know, CNN ultimately fires her very quietly. But her answer, like, two weeks ago on one of the shows I was watching, I, I was horrible. Like, she completely didn't answer it. It sounded like, a, you know what, she sounded like Kellyanne Conway uh, dismissing the question altogether. And so... What, that's what drives me up the wall is these are the things that, like, did Hillary even have control over that? Like, probably not. Donna Brazil was probably acting on her own to be nice to try and help her, but whatever. And then she's going to get pinged for it. it. Just All these things just just do nothing but make hit her on the one thing that people can't stand about her, right? The, the trustworthiness. And it's almost like at some point it's not fair. It's like nothing that maybe she didn't even control this kind of stuff, and it's still killing her. Well, and you know, the thing at the heart of that, that whole story, I think has less to do, which by the way, you know what a debate is going to be. You know what the questions are, right? It doesn't matter. Someone gives you the exact wording. You know your talking points. You know how to go into that. That's just how it goes. The bigger question at the heart of this, and and again, this would totally mean that the media has to look at itself in the mirror, which it loves to admire itself in the mirror. Right. It loves to preen in front of a mirror, but it does not like to look at it and really question what it sees in order for this thing to be fully um, expunged. The media would have to decide, is it a good idea for our media to be so chummy with the political complex? Should we have partisans on the evening news who are just there to spin the party line and just recite these things in front of a camera? And when they do, doesn't that become its new institution? And, and I can tell you, as someone who's found himself weirdly in the middle of like the media narrative, it's all true. I mean, they all hang out. They're all close friends. And all they basically do is they jockey for who has control while all of them get paid. Right. And that's the problem at the heart of it. And that's what happened with Donna Brazil. Donna Brazil has been at CNN for what, 10, 12 years. And suddenly she's the head of the DNC. She should have been out at CNN when she became head of the DNC. It's crazy that she wasn't. It's this weird incestuousness that happens between the two parts of our of our uh, country. And nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to make it better. And by the way, that's what led to Trump. Right. It's like they they were like, well, here's this idiot we'll put on and he'll get ratings. But meanwhile, he's like, these people are awful and everyone reads and sees it. And they're like, yeah, they kind of are awful. Right. Right. And so then it leads to support. It's this system that actually needs to be broken down. Right. But Trump's not the one to do it. That's the bottom line. It just it needs to be pushed forward so we can continue the American experiment and then break it down later. Right. That's you're right. And, and by the way, the breaking it down. I, I, like there are lots of people who would probably agree that if some smart person came around who could do something like that. That, that said, like I, I mean, I was a teacher in high school. I saw it in a huge public school system, and you can see how like rule after rule after regulation after regulation, as they get piled up, completely become intractable to each other. And it's a, like there like there is no other solution yet except for just to wipe it all away and start over. But like that is pretty untenable as well. I don't think we could ever do that in, in America. And eventually, I think we. You'll see, you know, Rome, Rome fell as well. Uh, you know, the irony about all of the email stuff is for me is that Hillary's private server was never hacked. That's the one server out of everyone out here because every other governmental you know server has been hacked by the, uh, by the by the Russians. That's the one that, one server that no one seems to be able, be able to get in there and get. And so I find it just r- ridiculous that like she's being, you know, I, I know, I guess the real argument is that she deleted emails uh, and that's why she did it. So she wouldn't have to produce emails. But part of you might have argued that it's because she didn't want to get hacked. And by the way, how unfair is it and how insane is it that the story here is how someone handled their emails? It isn't the fact that Russia 
has actively tried to influence an election. That's not a left issue. That's not a right issue. That is a major, major issue. And all you need to know about where we are as a country and the health of this country and the polarization of this country is we can't even unite to fight Russia anymore. We can't even talk about the fact that another country is trying to affect our democracy. And that's the craziest thing is it's turned into this false equivalency. Like Trump is a terrible, terrible human, right? So we have to report something about Clinton. But instead, that's not the story. It's Russia. I am sorry, but Russia is the story of the 2016 election, and we're just unwilling to talk about it because no one wants to unite behind something. Fair enough. Although what frightens me the most, Kevin, growing up in the Cold War, is we've never fought Russia. We've always fought them in, through proxies. And this was some, like, some sort of head-to-head thing. They're, we're announcing we're going to try and do some cyber war on them. Uh, that really makes me concerned, especially with a guy like Putin uh, in power. And so it almost doesn't matter if it's Hillary or Trump, if that's going to be what we're going to pursue, because the end of the world, that's the end of the world, if, they, if we ever had to go to war. Do you, I mean, I can't even imagine, are we going to have a conventional war with them that doesn't involve nuclear weapons? I, I, I can't even, I don't even know where to begin on that, but that seems like, isn't, that how, isn't, isn't this how war starts, is you first start espionage and you start going back and forth? I mean, that seems to me how they used to do them in the, in the back in the day. It is. And, and just think about this. Like, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm of the same mind of that. Like, you know, I'm a Cold War kid. And so, like, you know, my mind automatically goes to this. The scary thing is we always had our eye on them back then. You know what I mean? Like it was like every movement was like a big deal. Now, and I don't know if you've seen this, but it's like every week there's like a new near buzz on jets, right? Or there's like a new um, aircraft, like that's move aircraft carrier that's moving through a strait that they shouldn't be moved through. There's like these shows of power. We're so concerned about our polarization and so concerned at looking inward that we're not paying attention to the outward. You know, um, the thing that you mentioned, um, the vice president, Joe Biden, said that we're going to attack them um, via cyber warfare, which, by the way, um, all accounts show that it's already happened in part. There, there was a major, major hack that was perpetrated by the United States against Russia. Um, and there's probably going to be more. Right. There's probably going to be more on both sides. Um, that didn't even make the headlines. That wasn't even like one of the big stories that was relegated to the second page, third page of the newspaper. Instead, we're talking about email handling. We're talking about whether or not, you know, what Trump said about a former Miss Universe. We're not talking about these big issues because we're so enamored with looking inside that we can't even look outside anymore. Uh, I know it's 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 uh, it's crazy. And, that, and that's sort of that, um, you know, uh, the, the xenophobia that Trump has been able to uh, foster in everybody where, you know, we want to close all of our borders. By the way, I don't think he's mentioned the wall. Maybe he has. Has he mentioned the wall recently? I feel like that's not even a thing anymore. I mean, you know what? He mentions it at the end of rallies, almost like a famous rock musician playing their you know, most famous song before he walks off the stage. He barely talks about it. Like, that, that is not a thing. His entire campaign right now is about jailing Hillary Clinton. That's all it talks about. It talks about prosecuting her and putting her in jail. That's the entire um, – like, if you were to write a, a chapter in a history book, Donald Trump ran for president under the auspice of putting Hillary Clinton in jail. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, and, and it's and it, when you hear the chanting and you hear and you see the imagery, uh, the people at these rallies, um, I, I wouldn't blame Donald Trump for thinking that the polls are wrong and that he's got a lot bigger of a following than he does, and, and perhaps he does. We don't know. He's, the polling is this is the, these are the people that didn't vote in the past, right? These are the people who the polling uh, models don't account for ever in, in the hundred years of the of the data. So, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's a really, really kind of an interesting time to see what's going to happen here. And so uh, I guess to wrap up, what are, you, what are your thoughts? I mean, is Hillary going to pull this out in the next, you know, she, in the next week? Yeah, I think she will. Like I said, uh, if I had to bet right now, I would say five to six votes or five to six points. Um, if I had to guess, I would say that she's sitting right under 300 electoral votes by the end of the night. The thing I'm most concerned about and the thing that I have no idea how it's going to play out is one, whether or not Trump will concede two, if Trump will incite violence and three, whether or not there's any chance of conciliation after this, because the biggest concern that I have and and I, I try and be an optimist in this entire thing. The thing that scares me is that this idea of the election being rigged is going to carry forward after the election. And we're going to see a lot of instances of separatist militias, uh, lone wolves, things of that nature who are going to take their frustration and disillusionment out on the rest of the culture. Uh, I'm interested. To me, I feel like the violence might be much more related to uh, voting polling places, uh, people trying to you know intimidate or whatever in their way of checking and making sure. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I feel like the the public on both ends tends to have a short memory about a lot of things, and so part of me feels like. I mean, listen, there's a, there's a, certainly a chance that we kind of go back to normal. Hillary wins. They throw up their hands. See, I told you this is all rigged. This is all against us, whatever. And then they go back to their jobs and desperately trying to pay for their mortgages and their cars and whatever. You know what I mean? I feel like that's sort of what we try and do, which is also not always the best thing, too, because then we're not, we're not aware of policy. We're not aware that we are standing in the, in the world and what that means. And that, doesn't, that, that, that will also affect our votes in the future. Um, so it's a, it's a very, you know, uh, I guess democracy is a complicated, troubling thing a lot of the time. I think that's exactly right. The, the thing that worries me, because I, I think traditionally and historically, you're absolutely right. I think this is the election that might change that paradigm. Because right before, and a lot of the research I've been doing, and this all started in the 90s with Newt Gingrich and move forward with Fox News and the internet. Mm. Politics isn't November of every four years anymore. This is, uh, this is life, right? This is identity. It's all wrapped up in who you are and the conspiracy against you. And I actually think this is the election, I think, that breaks that paradigm. And that is both terrifying and just unsettling to a point that I don't even know how to handle. And, and I'm just really worried that's the case. Well, let's find out what happens in the next six days, and hopefully things will, will, will move in their positive direction. And uh, Jared, I can't thank you enough for coming on again to the show. Really fantastic stuff. And uh, let's see what happens. Well, maybe you can come back on afterwards, and we can kind of uh, have you know, some sort of session that hopefully will be a, a positive celebration. Well, let's hope this thing ends on Tuesday, right? Oh, gosh. Yes, you're right. Well, that's a 50-50 proposition, right? That's, no, I mean, seriously, I mean, there's a possibility this might end up in litigation. 
I mean, because you know how Trump is. I mean, if, right. if Trump doesn't like it, if Trump has any reason whatsoever, I mean, there could be a lawsuit that holds this thing up for a long time. And we don't have a, we don't have nine members of the uh, Supreme Court. <laughs> and we have a split Supreme Court. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, we'll, we'll have you back on again, and uh, we'll talk NBA, too, next time. So uh, thanks again, and don't forget, sports fans, the B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jared? I am. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like, Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your moves. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And with help from Albertsons, it doesn't have to be the most stressful. Stop in for great deals on holiday favorites so you can stretch your budget and celebrate more. Pick up fresh, boneless, skinless chicken breasts or thighs, just $1.59 a pound when you buy a value pack of three pounds or more. And get General Mills cereal 10.7 to 13 ounces, selected varieties, $1.57 when you buy two. Tastier meals, sweeter deals, happier holidays. Albertsons, it's just better.